Anna, remember that time the Yeti killed a bunch of Russian hikers? podcast. I'm your host, Anna Webb. And I'm your host, Amanda Webb. This is a podcast where two sisters totally geek out about all of their favorite moments in history. And this week, I'm going to be talking about one of the great unsolved mysteries of our time, the the Dyatlov Pass incident. A mystery in Soviet Russia? Who would have guessed? Color me shocked. (laughs) I'm very excited about this one. This has been a thing that I've been obsessed with for a very long time. And pronouncing incorrectly for that entire time. Yeah, because somebody said it wrong once, and then my brain was like, that's it, right? <laughs> we can have our drink update? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm drinking Sprite today. Ooh, mixing it up. Yeah, well, it's just what I had at work, and then I brought it home with me. So. Nice, nice. <laughs> Not only am I drinking water, I'm drinking water out of a cup that is too small, and I should have got a bigger cup so I could have more water. <laughs> Oops. Oops. It's fine. Everything's fine. Uh, gonna put another disclaimer. I'm probably gonna say a bunch of stuff wrong, because it's all Russian. Um, yeah, I can try, try to help, because I know a little bit of Russian, but I'm not great with it. Can, I can actually fudge my way through Russian easier than I can some of the other languages. It's just a lot of knowing where to place the emphasis yeah so we're gonna try our hardest okay uh and we're gonna get into it let's do it so in early 1959 igor dyatlov leads a group of nine other students and graduates from the earl polytechnical institute on a skiing expedition through the earl mountains in the soviet union then the soviet union before she fell <laughs> Before she done tripped and fell. She she just tripped and fell over. And boy, was it a long way to fall. It sure was. So, the members of the expedition are as follows in bad Russian. I can't do it. We're going to try our hardest. Igor Dyatlov, who was the leader. Yuri Doroshenko. Mm -hmm. Ludmila Dubinia. Yuri Krivonishenko. Sure. Alexander... Kolotov. Nope, you got that one wrong. Do it for me. <laughs> well, you put a T in where there wasn't one. There's a T in that no, name. No, but you put it where there was not one. You oh, put I an did. Extra one. <laughs> I did indeed. Kolvatov. Kolvatov, I would say. Sure. Um, but I don't know for Zina- sure. Zinadia Kolmogorov. Uh. Uh, Rustem Slobodin. Nikolai. Thibaut Brigonos. I would say that's probably Thibaut. I don't, I don't Thibaut. think it's a T-H. I don't think it's You're a right. Thibaut. You're right. Um, Simon Zolotaryov. Close enough. And Yuri Yudin, which is so easy to say. <laughs> it's so, comparatively, there's three Yuris on this expedition, and that mm-hmm. one is my friend because mm-hmm. I can say his name. And I'm sure when you were reading, it was like sometimes they would re- just refer to them as their last name. Yes. Or like their middle name, and then it becomes confusing because a lot of the names are similar. I'm like, which one are you talking about? Oh, every like, time they have all of their names listed, they do all three names. And I was like, there's no way that yeah. I'm going to get that middle one. There's no way at all. So I just didn't put them down. 
Yeah, and sometimes they'll refer to people, like Russians will sometimes refer to people, at least in writing, by just that middle name because it's their patronymic name. Uh -huh. They expect you to know who they're talking about. Like, reading Anna Karenina is a nightmare. <laughs> I, I mean, because it's huge, but also because of that. Yeah. Good book, though. <laughs> so, hopefully I won't have to say their names too much and it will be fine. <laughs> okay, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so all of the members on the expedition are grade two hikers. So for hiking and these like cross country skiing expeditions, there are levels of difficulty. Um, they are all set to receive grade three certification upon their return from this expedition, which is the highest certification available in the Soviet Union during this time. So these are all very experienced hikers. Mm -hmm. They know what they're doing. They were planning on hiking up the Otorten Mountain in February. The route of this hike and the February weather make it a Category 3 hike, which is why when they uh, get back, they should receive their certification. If they did it, it at a different time of year, it wouldn't be quite as difficult. Got it. But that was the point. <laughs> so the group stops in Isdel on January 25th, and then they stop in Vizhai? 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 Sure. Um, which is the last inhabited town before the mountains they will be climbing up. And it's like a tiny little mountain village. So they, like, stock up on supplies here, and then they leave on January 27th to begin their hike towards or Torton. I hope I'm saying that right. Sure. On January 28th, Yuri Yudin, the only one whose name I can pronounce, <laughs> has to leave. So he's not even going to be here for the rest of it. And I don't get to say his name anymore. <laughs> mm, they did that on purpose. <laughs> he did. Um, he you has... used up all the glue on purpose. <laughs> name that reference, listeners. <laughs> it's not seasonal. That's your hint. <laughs> on purpose. So Yuri Yudin has to turn back because he's having knee and joint pain that will not allow him to continue the hike. Which <laughs> is you, Yuri. relatable. <laughs> I'm with you right this second. <laughs> so much joint pain. So the group hike their way up towards Otorten for the next few days. On February 1st, they reach a point where they want to begin moving up the mountain and doing the actual hiking portion of the hike. They are planning to camp on the other side of what is now no called the Dyatlov Pass, because before it didn't have a name. It was just a pass in the mountains. Sure. Um, but because of the heavy snowstorms that started right around when they started hiking, they lose their sense of direction and end up hiking further west than they intended. Oh, they intended. No. Um, and they end up on a mountain called Kolat Sikal, which okay. means dead mountain in the indigenous language. So that's good. Hmm. Yeah. The other mountain they were going on, I read somewhere, meant like, don't go there. <laughs> The Slavs were like, please, really, don't, just stay away from here. Don't go on the dead mountain. <laughs> Maybe just turn back now. Maybe. On February 2nd, when they realize their mistake that they've gone too far, they decide to make camp on the mountain slope instead of moving a mile downhill to the tree line that's below them. The assumption is that they didn't want to lose their altitude that they had gained, right. or some people have also said that they might have just been, like, practicing 
their camping on mountain slopes because they would have to do that further along the hike. So they decided to just camp where they were instead of trekking back down, even though it wasn't that far. So we're going to jump a little bit now because this is where things go wrong. (laughs) Oh, boy. Um. Before they left for the hike, Dyatlov had promised his sports club that he would send them a telegram when he returned to Versailles, whatever. His sports club, you I know. (laughs) That's every time I, every source said sports club, and I was like, that is the most nondescript. (laughs) He's a fan of sport. He is a fan of sport. Uh, Dyatlov told them to expect word around February 12th. And when Yuri left, Dyatlov told him he expected the hike to take a couple days longer than he first estimated. So when February 12th comes and goes and nobody hears from them, that's not really surprising. Mm-hmm. It's These things usually take a little longer than they expected. It's like they often gain or lose a day or two on hikes like this. So that wasn't that odd. However, by February 20th, which is eight days later than they were supposed to return... No word has been received from the hikers, and the families of the hikers start getting concerned, and they ask that rescue teams go out to look for them. It's odd to me that, like, that was the limit of how long they were like, okay, they definitely should be back by now. Because it was a really difficult hike, and, like, they said that it would take longer than they thought. Yeah, but, I mean, I think that the fact that it is a difficult hike is why... They sent people when they did. Well, and it's lucky that people started getting nervous when they did, because if it had been any longer, it would have been harder to find them. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. The institute that the hikers are from are the first to send out search parties that are made up of other students and professors and, you know, volunteers. And then later, the when they aren't finding anything, the Russian army will get involved and send out helicopters to help with the search. So, on February 26th, the search party finds the abandoned tent of the hikers. This is where we're going to start getting into some very, very weird details that make this such a fascinating case. I love a mystery. This is very odd. It's very odd. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's not that much to this case. So, most of this episode is going to be us talking about the theories of what happened. And it, I don't know, it's wild. It's very interesting. So, when they find the tent, it is half torn down and covered with snow, and all of the hikers' belongings are still at the campsite, including some of their clothes and most of their shoes. What? Yeah. Not only that, investigators would later determine that the tent had been cut open from (gasps) the inside. What? So, for some reason... They cut the tent open from the inside and left. Or they... <laughs> nope. Nope. Because it wasn't cut into. It, right. The pattern of the tear shows that it was cut from the inside. The okay. footprints that are leading away from the tent show that the hikers had either been barefoot, wearing socks, or only wearing a single shoe when they left the campsite. Okay, well, in terms of the footprints, I'm surprised that there are even any still there i know isn't that weird oh we'll get into all of this okay don't worry there's so much about this is weird yeah (laughs) that's a little less weird because of like you know if it's 
if there's enough pressure and it freezes where it is and the snowfall is light, there'll still be some footprints. I guess, but it could but... also indicate that it was recent that they... Uh-huh. But then why would the tent be half covered in snow? Okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> and here's a here's another thing, and this will become important later. When you look at pictures of the tent when they found it, the like it being covered in snow was only on the top. So it had collapsed vertically but not horizontally. So it hadn't been crushed in. It was like snow fell and weighed it down and it fell in on itself. Like as if maybe a tree were over it and snow fell off the tree. Like that's Yes, for example. Of, okay. That like it would do something like that. I see. Oh yes, I yeah. see. I've looked up pictures now. Yes. There are lots of pictures of this case. It's pretty it's decently documented for uh 1959. And Soviet Russia. Yeah. Well, you know, lots of things were documented that just didn't get released until uh, much later. Lots in of Soviet other things Russia. were not documented purposefully, though. Yep. What yep. I'm yep. Oh, yes. We'll get into all of this. So they follow these footprints for about 500 meters before they get covered in snow. So they follow them for a while and then they reach a place where the snowfall was heavier and they couldn't follow the footprints anymore. And the footprints were leading towards the woods that were a mile below the campsite. So that's where they start their search, sort of properly, after they find the tent. At the edge of the woods, they find the remains of a small campfire and the first two bodies of the two Yuris that weren't Yuri Yudin. Because I don't want to say their last names again. The two remaining Yuris. The two Yuris. Two of the three Yuris. (laughs) Um... The bodies are both found wearing only their underwear and no shoes. What? Yeah. Well, sure, all their clothes were apparently back in the tent. Not all, but a lot of them. But most of them. Yeah. Uh, The branches above them are broken, and the bodies have some scratches on them, which indicates that they seem to, like, try and climb the tree for some reason. Okay. Some think that they were, like, trying to get sight of the campsite. Sure. And there are no animal prints anywhere. Nope. Okay. The footprints leading away from the campsite are the only prints that they found. Okay. In the whole area. Because the logical explanation would have been like, oh, uh, um, you know, they heard a bear outside their tent and they couldn't get the zipper or, or open or whatever it was. You know, they couldn't get it open. Not yep. a zipper, probably. But so they cut it open and then they ran. And yep. then they tried to climb a tree, but they could you mm-hmm. know, but there are no bear prints. There are or no any bear other prints. animal prints. And those are the only two bodies they find at that tree. Right. Yeah. And not mauled by a bear. Yes, and not, yeah, no, literally just, they are dead. Uh, At various distances between the edge of the woods where they find the first two bodies, they find the bodies of Igor, Zanadia, and Rustam. The position, and they're, like, a little further and further away from the woods, closer and closer to the campsite. Wait, so wouldn't that mean that they found them first? Because they were walking No, I think it was at, like... I would assume a different angle from the way they came uh, in. okay. So the positions of the bodies make it seem like the hikers had been trying to return to their camp and just, like, collapsed from exhaustion before they could make it up there. And they had clothes on. Not all of them were well-dressed, but this they had some clothes. Wild. Yeah. So it is very clear that the cause of death for these five hikers was hypothermia. And probably also dehydration and starvation. Yes, yes. But they all very clearly froze to death right. while they were escaping whatever had made them leave the tent and on their way to try and return to the campsite. Okay. So all of that is unfortunate 
but can be sort of written off. Well, it's not until not really, but okay. He, it's going to get crazier when we find the bodies of the other four hikers. The other four hikers are not found for another two months. On May 4th, the bodies of Ludmilla, Alexander, Nikolai, and Simone are found 75 meters deeper into the woods in a ravine under 13 feet of snow. And okay. it is thought that the only reason that they f- managed to find their bodies is because it was May and the snow was starting to thaw. And they found some evidence of them there and dug them out. Okay. <laughs> some of these bodies are better dressed than the original ones. And it seems like the hikers were taking clothes off of those who had died first oh, to, to give, keep themselves okay. warm. Because some of them were wearing clothes that belonged to the other hikers. Okay. So these bodies, unlike the first five, had injuries. Nikolai had a fractured skull, and Ludmilla and Simone had chest fractures that could have been caused only by a force that was similar to that of a car crash. What? That's the only way they could describe the chest fractures that they had. There were no external signs of these injuries. So it was as if they had been subject to an intense pressure of some kind. So there was no soft tissue damage. It was only internal. What? Yeah. Um, When she is found, Ludmilla's tongue had been ripped out. And her eyes, parts of her lips, some facial tissue, and a fragment of her skull bone were missing. What? And here's what's very weird to me. Alexander's bodies had no severe wounds at all. He was found with these other four, but four, but he had no wounds. Um, okay. one of the bodies and some of the clothes—I don't know which one—I couldn't find it. Um, showed some traces of radiation, but only one of them. Um, and then some people would later report that at their funerals, the skin on some or all of the bodies was oddly tan or orange, and they weren't sure why. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Okay. So it was then concluded that Alexander, who had no injuries, had also died of hypothermia, like he had died of hypothermia, it was very clear, and that the other three probably died of their injuries. What on earth? So by the end of May 1959, the investigation concludes and it is reported that the hikers all died of, quote, a compelling natural force. Sorry. That's all they said. Sorry. May... Of yeah. the same year that they went missing? Uh-huh. There was no, like, culprit for who could have killed them. There was no way to tell, so the, they just stopped investigating. Ugh. The investigation has since been reopened several well, times. Well, yeah. Yeah. But they still really haven't found anything conclusive. Well, of course they haven't. There's no evidence anymore. No. I mean, there wasn't really evidence to start with, okay, but Okay, but yes. there was some. Yeah. So, that is all that's all they found at the scene that's how all of the bodies were the story as we know purely from evidence and from no speculation was that something caused them to tear their tent open from the inside out cut it open leave their campsite partially clothed uh move towards the woods and they all died i read six to eight hours after their last they had time to start a fire Uh uh-huh that's the part that is really, like, tripping me up. Yeah. Is that they they ran away as if they were being chased by something. 
in in a manner that that would indicate that they were being chased by something, and yet they stopped and made a fire. Well, and they the pattern of the footprints people have analyzed it made it seem like they walked away. There was no no sign that it was a panicked run at all. It seems that they so just left. the exiting of the tent seemed panicked, and then the actual yeah. exit was not. That's so weird. Yeah. They just left for some reason, and we don't know why. Oh, my God. So, you know, that's a pretty short for actual facts, but I wanted to spend the rest of the episode talking about the theories about what might have happened to them and the reasons why some of them make sense and why some of them don't make sense. Okay, Ryan from BuzzFeed, let's get into those theories. Yeah, well, they've done an episode on this. (laughs) (laughs) With that being Um, said, let's (laughs) That being said. That's my Ryan. That was really good. <laughs> Thanks. It wasn't quite deep enough, but I wasn't really, like... Ready for it? Yeah, it was kind of off the cuff. <laughs> so, the very first theory that was posed, like, almost on site, like, the first thought that people had, was that the hikers' deaths were... Sorry, I read that really wildly. <laughs> um, the first theory was that the local indigenous Mansi tribe had killed the hikers, who they lived in that area of the mountains, which is what that language was that named the mountains. Uh, This theory was pretty quickly dismissed because, like you said, there were no footprints on the mountain besides the ones that belonged to the hikers. Hmm. The injuries on the three hikers were caused by a force stronger than a human was capable of dealing, and there was no soft tissue damage, so there was no, like, sign that they had been pushed, bruised, cut, anything like that. It was only eternal. And the Mansi tribe were generally a peaceful people, and there was no sign of them in the area of the hikers when they died. So that theory was just sort of like, you know, the initial scapegoat kind of thought, and then it was pretty quickly disproven. Blame it on the indigenous people. Yep, classic Soviet Union. (laughs) Classic every white culture ever. Yep, yep, yep. So, this one is a lot. The most broadly accepted theory for many years was that an avalanche caused the hiker's death. And I'm going to go from things that are more likely slowly into things that are less likely as we okay. go on. Although that still doesn't seem likely. But it's not. It's totally not. Because you this don't is walk away from use. an avalanche. If there had been an avalanche on their tent, oh, they, yeah. they no, would have no, been no. buried, all of there them is, together there in is, the same place. All kinds of evidence against this, but I want to talk about the theory and then the evidence against it. So the theory says that the hikers were awoken either by the sounds of an avalanche hitting, pushing on their tent, or by the, you know, sounds of an imminent avalanche. They cut open their tent because the snow had covered the entrance and fled for fear of getting buried under the snow. They had no clothes on because they had been sleeping and didn't have time to get dressed. Sure. They got separated in the darkness. The first group froze to death while attempting to return to their tent, so that would have been the two that had the fire. It was assumed that those Mm -hmm. other three had been with them and then were trying to return to the tent. And the second group got caught in the avalanche, which is how they had been so badly injured and why they were buried under the snow. And this theory and many other theories that we'll talk about usually explains Ludmilla's missing tongue by saying that animals ate it. 
And the reason her face was so badly damaged was because she had been decomposing in a stream she was found near. So that she had landed with her face in the stream. And as it was running, it decomposed her face at a more rapid rate than the rest of them. I don't quite understand why one tongue would be eaten and not the rest. And why Uh only her tongue would be eaten from out of her mouth. Yeah, because the rest of the, the face decomposing makes sense to me. Yeah, but animals aren't like, hmm, what is there to eat here? A whole body? Or just that one part? <laughs> if she was found around the other hikers, why were none of them uh, eaten in any way? And if they were buried under 13 feet of snow, how was she eaten? And also, how were they buried under snow in the woods because they were deeper into the woods right it was a ravine in the woods but they were deeper in the into the woods than the other hikers so how did they get buried in snow in the woods when the other hikers didn't yeah that doesn't make sense to me that's part of this that's part of this okay so here's the, the the evidence against the avalanche the biggest one was that there was no sign of an avalanche in the region at all it's that there was not an avalanche an avalanche would have left patterns and debris in the area, and there was none. And the first bodies that were found had a thin layer of snow on top of them because they had been sitting, and it was the winter and it had been snowing. Right. But if an avalanche that was strong enough to kill the other hikers had occurred, it would have swept the first group's bodies away. Right, right. So even if they had gotten separated and, like, an avalanche happened afterward, it still would All of the bodies should have been in that ravine. Right. Or further down the hill. Um, another theory that sort of piggybacks off of the, um, avalanche theory that's, like, it doesn't say that there's an avalanche, but it says that, like, snow had fallen on their tent and they feared that it was going to get covered, so they left. That theory says that those hikers had fallen into this, like, ravine that appeared to be covered with snow, but in the dark they had fallen into it and hurt themselves upon the fall and then gotten buried in the snow Yeah, but that still doesn't make sense because they'd have external injuries they would be bruised or there would be blood on them if he had like cracked his head open yeah but that one is more plausible than this one (laughs) i mean yeah it's definitely more plausible that they fell into that ravine but yeah um so here are some more things against the avalanche reports from other hikers in the area and modern day terrain mapping show that no avalanche occurred around the time of the hikers' expedition and that the conditions for an avalanche to occur were not present at that area. So there are other areas around there where it's, like, the steepness of the slope and the amount of snow, and avalanches are more likely to happen in April and May when the snow is thawing than it is in February when the hikers were hiking. So there was just, like, no evidence of it. People just used that because they thought that it was... Likely. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. This is another one. All of the hikers on the trip were experienced and were unlikely to have set up a camp in the path of a potential avalanche. Like, they know what that looks like. And then this is what I was saying earlier. The footprint prodders leaning away from the camp do not show that they ran in a panic. They seem to have left calmly, completely of their own volition, half-dressed in the middle of the night. The only thing that seems at all panicked about it is the tent. the tent being cut open, but I'd never read anything about the cut being frantic. It just seems like it was cut open, but it was definitely cut open from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very weird. So it, like, definitely wasn't an avalanche. There are some things about, like, weather and stuff that we'll talk about here in a minute that seem way more likely than an avalanche, but it, there's just no way it could have been. There was, there was no evidence of an avalanche having occurred there. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so one theory posits that a catabatic, I think, wind forced the group to leave their tent. So this wind is a strong and forceful wind that comes down a slope from a high elevation with, like, the force of gravity. So it comes, like, rushing off the sides of mountains. Mm -hmm. And the winds can potentially be hurricane-strength winds. So the thought is this wind suddenly comes down the mountain, is pushing on the tent, and they know they're going to get buried under the tent unless they leave. So they cut their way out and they run down the hill to the shelter of the tree line and then that they were out in the elements they didn't have time to get dressed and they froze to death and those of them that like collected clothes and stuff from the other ones had built like snow shelters Mm -hmm. to stay alive down there and that they collapsed and injured the hikers and buried them under the snow okay my biggest problem with that well one of my problems with that is that it seems like something like that would cause an effect in the snow that would be similar to that of, like, a sandstorm. And it would cover up, my assumption would be, both their tent and their footprints. Yes. This and is their the, bodies. This is the big thing that I have about a lot of those, is that the tent looks like it was just snowed on. Yeah. It looks like it was snowed like snow on fell off of while they were gone. Onto it. Or even just a heavy snowfall while they were gone, and it collapsed in on itself because nobody was in there, and it had been cut open. You know, like... It doesn't make any sense that it would be cut open from the inside if it collapsed on itself when no one was in it. Yeah. Oh, my God. So that one is more likely. And if you combine it with some other factors, you can sort of make that make a little more sense. Yeah, but then there's always something that will go, no, that ruins the logic of it. Yeah. Well, one of the big ones for me is the girl's tongue being missing is weird. Yeah, the internal injuries is so weird. It's really odd. Every time you think, oh, that could line up, there's a detail that makes you go, oh, no, that that doesn't fit. This one of having the snow collapse on them makes a little more sense because that would create pressure. That would create those injuries without the external injuries. It doesn't make sense, though. (laughs) well there's no sign of that structure existing and also they're talking about force like that of a car crash which indicates fast not something falling and then over time creating that a very fast pressure yeah okay um so this theory basically only explains part of it but if you like pair it with some other stuff you can make it make sense this theory says that a wind going around Colat, the mountain that they were on, mm-hmm. created a Carmen Vortex Street, which can produce infra infrasound capable of inducing panic attacks in humans. So this theory says that this vortex thing okay. is a, a natural phenomenon where gas or liquid, so the wind... F- swirl around an object so the mountain sure and creates this sound this low level infrasound okay. that messes with the psyche and create panic attacks like a dog whistle yeah okay so that but then if could they're having explain, a panic attack wouldn't they run away from the tent that yes okay. but that could explain why they suddenly felt as if they had to cut their way out of a tent uh, yeah, and guess. leave immediately 
Okay. So, like, if you pair that with some of the other elemental stuff, that, like, that... It has to be, like, literally the perfect storm. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But that at least could make some sense as to why they cut their way out of the tent. Because nothing else to me explains why they cut their way out of the tent. Yeah, it's absurd. Unless they were just, like, stuck in there for some reason. But there's, there was no sign of that at the, at the scene. You know, like, snow wasn't pressed up against the entrance. But it's possible that, like, they had tied it closed and they just, like, couldn't get it open and they were trying, you know. And if they were in, if they were having a panic attack, cut it open and got out. Or even if they just literally couldn't get out for some reason, they were like, oh, I can't get it to open, I'm just gonna cut it. Yeah. This next theory tries to explain why some of them were found without their clothing. Um... It's called paradoxical undressing, and it's a thing that hypothermia victims do where they feel like they're burning Mm -hmm. because they're freezing, and so they take off their clothes. Okay. My problem with this theory is they appear to have left the camp with minimal clothing. Right. And so if they had been, when they were dying of hypothermia, when they were out in the elements, you would have found their clothing there if they had been taking it off. Yeah, it would mean that they would have had a, had to have already been dying of hypothermia before they left the tent. Yes. Yeah. Which they weren't, because those tents are built for them to be able to sleep in their underwear. Right. Warmly with each other. You know, like, they have the tent and the sleeping bags. They are, it's perfectly logical that they were sleeping without their clothes why they left with only some of their clothes is very Mm -hmm. odd because some of it may you know like the fact that the first two were found without any clothing at all it's possible that they had some clothing that the hikers who were crawling back to their tents put on Right. right but like even that why did all of them only have some of their clothes if they weren't leaving in a rush yeah So, those are all of the theories that sort of are based on very natural and scientific stuff, but none of them can quite explain all of it. Now we're going to talk about one of my favorite theories, and one that I find to be incredibly likely. Okay. So, there's a theory that the hikers died because of Soviet military weapons testing. Yep, seems likely to me. Yep. (laughs) So the theory posits that the Soviets were testing parachute mines in the area where the hikers were camp- camping, mm-hmm. and there is, there are records that some tests took place around that area and around that time. Sure. Um, the theory is that the sounds of the mine setting off woke up the hikers in a panic, and they fled their tent. Because they thought that something was shooting at them or bombing them. They went to the tree line to try and stay out of the line of fire, froze to death, and then after the um, explosions had died down, climbed their way back to the tent and died. Parachute mines detonate in the air, Mm -hmm. so there would be no evidence of the explosions on the ground. And they produce injuries similar to those of the injured hikers. So parachute mines injure people eternally with no external damage okay so that would explain how they were hurt okay um this theory is also backed by reports from locals who said that they saw strange orange orbs floating in the sky around the time that the hikers died so there are lots of reports of seeing these floating orange things over the mountain that night Okay. Some believe that the Soviet military moved some of the bodies because, so you know how when bodies are found, they're blood pools mm-hmm. and it leaves like patterns on the body. Some people say that the patterns are not 
the same as how they were found. So people think that the Soviets moved their bodies, for example, the ones that were in the ravine, to try and make it look like it was just a weird accident to cover up their mistake. Sure. That's that theory. I, I'm still confused about the tongue, though. Me, I am very confused about the tongue. It just doesn't seem necessary. Everybody, everybody writes the tongue off as an animal There's eating no it. way. But I don't understand... How, if they were found buried under the snow, how an animal got to and it. And why it would only and eat one. why it would only eat only the tongue and only the tongue of one of the hikers. Right. However, the rest of that is fascinating it to me. It seems like something that, okay, so let's say this theory you're talking about is like a, just a really crappy, like, episode of a, uh, an investigative show. <laughs> right yeah. so it seems like something that if this theory is the outcome of the show that this is what happened the tongue seems like something that the person covering it up did that became overkill right they yep. did it because they thought it would be part of the like you know the mystery of it all they'll never yeah. figure it out but that's what ended up giving it away yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and i feel like the soviets know better than that because it's not the first time they've covered something up. So yeah. either either this is true and somebody did that and screwed up, or this is not true, in my opinion. That's yeah. the, def- the yeah. determining yeah. factor for me. I totally, I totally agree with that. But this one, like, all of those natural ones, it's like so many things would have had to line up just right to make any of that right. work. Literally the perfect storm. It would have to be a combination of all or many of those things. Uh huh. This covers almost all of the bases for me. Yeah, it's just so it's the one that I think is closest. Yeah, I I mean probably. So there's also some that believe that the Soviets were testing radiological weapons instead of those parachute mines, which is an attempt to explain the radiation that was found on one of the bodies Mm -hmm. and the tan and orange skin on the bodies. However, if radiation had killed them, they there would have been higher traces of radiation on everything that they had on them if they had died of radiation it would have been everywhere um this here i will say the orange and tan skin can be explained it's because the bodies were beginning to be mummified in the cold Oh, okay and that's what their skin looks like. well and also if it had been radiation it would have been on all of them exactly it would have been on everything so so like the theory that they were testing weapons tracks to me but i don't think it was radiological weapons the parachute mines make sense to me I do not understand why one of them had levels of radiation on them. Enough to be reported. Yeah. Because it's one thing, because most people have some. Well, yeah. But enough that that was reported somewhere at some point. Because I've seen that in most of the things that I've read, and usually it's just, like, one small detail, but, like, somebody at some point along the line noted that one of the bodies and some of the clothes had some traces of radiation. And I don't understand why that was important. Yeah. Unless it was, like, one of them worked around it and we just didn't know. And it was just, like, on them. Oh, I But mean, I don't I know. Guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that much about these people outside of this. I don't think there's a whole lot outside of just, like, you know, what their families knew about them. So that's that's one of the more Buckwild ones. We're going to get into the two two of the real crazy ones now. Let's do it. Some people, of course, think that the floating orange orbs... Uh, above Colat were alien ships and that aliens abducted them. Mm. 
So, you know, why not? I'm going to pass on that one. I'm also going to pass on that one. Because every time I hear an alien abduction story, I'm like, no. And it's not because I don't believe in aliens, because they totally do. I just, I think that if they exist, which I'm sure that they do, they wouldn't, they have not visited us. There's no way. There's no way. (laughs) So that's some garbage. And then, of course, there are theories. I'm going to get to the Yeti last. But, of course, there are other theories that, like, other supernatural things happen to them, Right. right? Like, that it was ghosts and demons that it was some other creature you know um there is a an indie horror video game called colat which is how i found out about this because i was watching somebody play it and the in the game you're like you know retracing these people's steps and you find all of these notes that they had hidden and it seems like some weird demony thing is happening up on the mountain the game is great and fascinating it's just not a plausible theory for what happened to them yeah. obviously um and then there's also a terrible horror movie called the devil's pass that i watched about oh this. yeah i forgot that movie existed oh boy howdy is it bad um i watched it because i'm interested in this and i wanted to see what their theory was there's th- they have it being you know, like, monsters. Okay, if you're making a horror movie about this and you want to say monsters got them, sure, whatever. But then there was also time travel? Why? For, like, no reason? <laughs> Why? And if you're gonna do one or the other, just do one or the other. You can't do both. So stupid. If it was just the m- monsters, it would have just been, like, your cut-and-dry cut horror movie. And that would have been fine. But the also time travel is what tripped me up. <laughs> Yikes. It's really bad. It's really Yikes. bad. Um, so, of course, the most famous of the theories about this is that the Yeti killed the hikers. There was, like, a whole, like, documentary that somebody did on the Yeti killing them. Somebody faked a photo from one of their cameras that they took a picture of the Yeti because all of the hikers had cameras and diaries and were documenting really, really well up until the point that they died. So, like, we know basically their every move up until they died. There's lots and lots of stuff. There's lots of pictures of them that you can find there. Oh, I found the picture. Yeah. Of the Mm -hmm. Yeti? Oh, it's so bad, right? It's horrible. It's so poorly made. It's just, like, a very fuzzy, basically stock image of a Yeti. Oh, wait, no. Terrible try imposed on one of the pictures that they actually oh, took more i think than one. yeah it's a, well it was a whole documentary that somebody made but the theory basically just said that like they they heard the yeti like you were saying they heard the bear um fled the tent the yeti killed the ones that had the really da- like bad injuries to them um and ripped the girl's tongue out and that the rest of them died of hypothermia while they were trying to hide from and the And then Yeti. it went back and covered up its own footprints, but not the footprints of the people who it killed. Oh, see, people came out 30 years after the fact and said, actually, I'm pretty sure I saw a Bigfoot footprints out well, there of course that the Russians didn't report about. You know, there like were pictures, though. So, again, nice try. Oh, wait, terrible try. Terrible try. It was really bad. But that's about it. That's about all I have on it. Uh, I think that it is endlessly fascinating, and we'll never know what happened. I find it so interesting because there are so many details. It was, like, really well documented how they found them and what state they found everything in, but none of them make any sense. It's so strange. I... 
This is the mm-hmm. kind of thing that makes me crazy because, like, I want to know. I, I want to know. And I want someone out there who has spent a long time trying to figure this out to get the satisfaction of finding out what happened. Oh, yeah, because people have written a ton of books about this. The investigation has been reopened three or four it's times. It's the kind of thing people dedicate their lives to, like people who are uh-huh. searching for who Jack the Ripper was, that kind of thing. Like, yeah. I just want – it's it's the same thing as with Jack the Ripper. Like, I just want someone to have the satisfaction of knowing. And, and the problem is that the only people who know are gone, and they can't tell us. And it's, like, so frustrating. And it's, like, really hard for this one because it was such weird circumstances yeah. that they would be able to tell us exactly why they did each thing and how it happened and all of that. But, like – all we can do is speculate and we're never going to be able to speculate the whole story. You know, like. I was looking up the Yeti pictures and I was scrolling through Google images. And there, <laughs> something came up that said top 10 Yeti sightings with pictures. And one of them is literally so clearly a person in a full Yeti costume. Like that is <laughs> That's fabric, my, favorite. my friend. And I can see it like that. Oh my God, it's so funny. I can I can see the seam. Like, at least try a little bit, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, this is it. The name of that documentary was Russian Yeti, The Killer Lives. Okay, this also has a picture of... <laughs> from Harry and the Hendersons. So, what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing? Uh well, that's I, that's all I have. There's not really any good Google autofill for it because it's a very weird little one that I c- kind of just found, you know, by chance <laughs> on the internet. Um, but I think it's really interesting. If you guys have any theories about what happened, tell us. Tweet at us or tell us on Facebook or anything. I just want to know what people think and if you think any of these make sense or if you have your own wild and fun theory yes. about what happened to these people. Yes. I would love to hear yes. them. Yes, and you know where you can tweet those to us? Is that at RTTPod. And, you know, you can also email them to us at rememberthatpod at gmail.com. I, we never get emails, so. <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> That's okay. Um, yeah, tweet, tweet us your theories and tweet about the show and tell a friend about it. Um, it makes me so happy when people post about the show. Same. Um, if you have a friend that loves mysteries, shoot them, shoot this yeah, one their way. I want to know what they think. It's a weird one. Um, if you want to find me on the internet, uh, I am at the real Anna Webb across all platforms. And I'm at ACW Nerdfighter all over the internet. Did it. We did it. Do you know what we're doing next time? Nope. Oh, wait. Yes. You do? You do. Yeah, I'm going to do, right. um, Mary the First. AKA Bloody Mary. So yeah. get ready. Keeping on that Tudor train. Get ready for a lot of, a lot of, um, oh gosh, uh, just like a little bit of brutality and also a bunch of stories about when I was a kid and I was afraid of Bloody Mary. Uh huh. Uh huh. Probably <laughs> some of that. As yep. Well. Yep. <laughs> so uh, look forward to hearing that ne- next time. And until next time, remember that time.